Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson. And I'm Lucas Stock. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of the Lord's Church. So Lucas, before we jump into what we're talking about today, just wanted to real quick highlight go over uh, some of the things that we have going on this month, just in case people don't make it to the end, in case they haven't seen or heard the details on social media. uh, We're doing two different things that are pretty exciting. Number one, we're doing a giveaway. This is our very first giveaway. We've never done a giveaway before. We're really excited about it. Uh, The details of the giveaway you can find in our bonus episode from last Wednesday. Uh, They're also on both uh, our social media accounts. So Instagram, and Twitter, both at Doxology Podcast. Uh, but we're, we're giving away two books, uh, one book from the Baptist tradition and one from the Anglican tradition, which just happens to be the traditions that we find ourselves in. Uh, so you'll want to check that out. Make sure to go over to the posts. You'll want to like, um, subscribe or follow um, and share and retweet and all those things. So all the details are in the different, um, different posts uh, on the different social media sites. But uh, it'll go through the end of this month, and we'll pick a, a winner in the, the beginning of March. So that's that's number one, the, the giveaway, which we're, we're really excited about. Uh, number two, probably just as excited, if not more. I don't know about you, Lucas, but I'm pretty excited about our Instagram Live. Um, so we, we have a much bigger Twitter following than an Instagram following, but you're going to want to make sure that you do follow us on Instagram uh, because in, I don't know what day today is, the 13th. So in 12 days, on February 25th, we are going to be doing an Instagram Live at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. So if you live in a different time zone, make sure you look up what 7 Central is in your time zone. Um, but we're going to, you know, we're going to chat. Gonna, you'll get a little peek behind the curtain on, on how we record. And um, I'm sure that if you guys want to ask us questions, we'd be more than happy to answer as they show up on the feed and everything. Uh, but we're really excited. It'll be a good time to, um, I don't know, just get a, to interact with our with our, our friends and our listeners. And so we encourage you just to, to put that on your calendar, on your radar as well. So the giveaway and then the live, Instagram live stream. So uh, anyway, without any further ado, Lucas, do you want to tell us what we're talking about today? Sure. Um, we are going to be talking about confession, which is maybe a word that has a certain connotation, maybe doesn't. Um, but I think it's a pretty broad topic that is, I think, all over scripture and also not all over our conversations typically, I think, at least in the churches and the circles that I run in. Um, before we dive in, uh, if you do hear a little snap, crackle, pop in the background, um, we have a fire going in our fireplace in the woods a little not super dry, so there might be some some flickering flames and such in the um, in the background. But um, confession is today's topic, and this is kind of going to be, I mean, just the way it's, we kind of prepped for it. My, we're thinking it'll be a little more conversational than necessarily like super systematic. Um, but we were just talking about ideas for for topics to cover and this seemed like a good one to um kind of like i said shine a light on a topic that isn't necessarily 
something that is covered a ton, I think, in terms of teaching, sermons, um, you know, books. I, I don't know. I just, I, I kind of struggle to think of times where I've really heard a lot about con- like confession, like what it is, the role it plays in the Christian life. Um, what does the Bible say about confession? How should we confess? To whom should we confess? What does it look like to confess? All those kinds of questions, which we're not necessarily going to, you know, go through and find the perfect answer to all of them. But it's a topic that I've become in the last few months super interested in and I think is really important and I think is really interesting to talk about. And if you're anything like me, I think some of the some of the verses we might take a look at in our conversation might kind of surprise you and maybe cause you to maybe rethink some things or think about things that you haven't thought about before uh, or haven't thought about, you know, haven't thought through at least. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That feels like kind of a rambling, vague intro, but I think it gets my point across. I don't know. Um, so when we talk about confession, you know, as just an abstract idea, I guess, like, what would be, what, what do you think would be, like, a good sort of succinct definition if someone was like, what does it mean, what does confession mean? Right. Well, it, it depends on the context, I think, also, like, is important and, and who we're confessing to. Um, but I think most basically a confession is a, a declaration of wrongdoing, a renunciation of, of past practices. Um, when we think about confession to God, um, it's an admittal that we are sinful, that we are fallen, that we have fallen short of his standard, of his glory, of his word. Uh, So to confess is to admit that we have transgressed. Um, In a very similar way, uh, James 5, 16 tells us to confess our sins to one another. Uh, So in another sense, we as Christians, as brothers and sisters, we ought to be confessing to one another. So what does it mean to confess? Uh, Well, perhaps that means confessing when you've hurt your brother or sister or when you've uh, maybe harbored anger or jealousy or resentment in your heart towards somebody. Um, But again, it's, it's it's a personal, sometimes public, sometimes private, but an admission that you have done something to the detriment of somebody else and you are apologizing um, you're, you're naming what you've done and you're hopefully seeking to not continue in that practice. Yeah, I think that's a really good place to go. Um, where I, I know I, I've got some more things I want to say about that verse in James 5 that, that are kind of more down the road. But um, another place would be, you know, another well-known verse is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, confession is clearly a biblical theme or, or biblical concept, like both the word and then also just the idea of um, in response to sin, repent in repentance, in contrition, in sorrow, turning away from part of that turning away from those sins is to confess them is to admit them you know all the things that 
different ways, like you just said, admit and to sort of take responsibility for, um, to own it, what, however we might want to describe it. Um, I think it's pretty clear that this is in fact an important piece of the, the process of, you know, repentance or of, of cl- being cleansed of sin, being forgiven. Um, and when we see it, not just in those two verses that we just quoted, but we see it all over scripture. Uh, and, you know, not only all over the New Testament, all over the Old Testament, we see, I mean, really it goes all the way back to the garden. We see maybe an example of a not so good confession from Adam in Genesis 3. Um, but he is confronted by God in his sin. And he, he you know, eventually in his own not so great way, brings it up. He, he kind of owns it. He says like, yeah, you know, the woman you, you know, the woman you gave me, she gave me this fruit. I ate it. So he is, he is, you know, saying like, yes, I did this, this sin. Um, obviously he's not in, in sorrow and repentance and he's actually blaming. Contrition. He said, he's like, God, <laughs> yeah. the woman that you gave me. Um, so, so definitely an, an example of what not to do, right. but still, I think it shows like, there's, it's almost inevitable, even if we are trying to shift the blame or avoid responsibility, like there, you, you know, if you sin, it, you, you sinned, <laughs> like there, there's no way around sort of coming to terms with that fact. Um, and this theme kind of continues. We see in Leviticus, all, all the different uh, offerings for sins, the day of atonement, with the, the, the priest sort of on behalf of the people of Israel confessing the sinfulness of the people and putting it on the, the scapegoat and whatnot. Um, we see this cycle in the book of Judges of sin, and, and then the people as a result of that are kind of punished by being oppressed by other people, and then they cry out to God and they repent, and then you know, they say, we are, you know, we're sinful, we're, they're kind of in that way confessing and then god raises up a judge to deliver them and you know that happens over and over again um but then there are some more like concrete i think ways especially concrete to us as we're you know going back and reading the text i think they're a little maybe easier to resonate with um the story of david and nathan that gives us psalm 51 following his sin against bathsheba and uriah um you know his response is one of confession, you know, to, to Nathan and when he's confronted and, and to God. And we see both in the narrative, uh, is that second Kings or first King? One of the Kings, yeah, I, I think, um, or Samuel, I don't know, one of them, but, uh, we see in the narrative David's response when he's confronted with his sin, uh, by Nathan. Um, but we also see in Psalm 51, his, you know, a sort of a, a more maybe personal, uh, more, uh, I don't know, but we see a sort of what might be more of his inner monologue as he's sort of reflecting on what he's done and coming and and coming to God to confess it, you know, in the form of a psalm that that we have, uh, which is pretty cool when you think about it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I don't know, and, and it thing- goes it goes on from there, but but I think it's 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 just very obvious that this is important. You know, this isn't this isn't something that is just sort of there or is optional. But I mean, you know, First John one nine, that verse I just read, literally says, 
if we confess, he'll forgive us. Like mm. that's a pretty big weight on confession. That that like the actual our actual forgiveness of sin is tied to being able to confess that sin. You know, if if you're not admitting that you're a sinner, how are you able to turn away from that sin, to turn away from that that uh you know, bondage and turn to God. Um, it, 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 it's really, really big, I guess is what I'm trying to say, which might be kind of obvious, but, I, but, um, I think when we really start just stacking up the examples of confession and, and the texts that speak about confession, I think it becomes a little bit more, a little more overwhelming than I really thought about it before I took a look at what scripture had to say and just realized how central it really is to to take hold of your sin as your sin and to bring it before God and, and the community of faith and be like, I am a sinner. Mm. You know, I've done X, I have done Y, I have not done Y, whatever it is. Um, so I think it's really interesting uh, to, to think about how prevalent different forms and examples of confessions are or, or, or confession or confessing um, is in scripture and then to think about how little I feel like we really talk about it. And maybe that's again, just my own experience and my own kind of bias, but, but I feel like it's a pretty common thing to maybe not think about it so much, you know, not that anyone would say, Oh, confessing your sins is dumb. We shouldn't do that. But just like, it kind of gets maybe neglected a little bit. I, I don't know if that's a good way to put it, but no, I think that's kind of how it feels. Yeah, and I, as I thought about this this week, as we, you know, we, we, we often will prepare a week ahead of time the topic. That way we have a week to think about it. Um, and for those that want the context, uh, this week, um, you know, there was a story that was released about Ravi Zacharias. They, they finally, you know, revealed the findings of this investigation. Uh, so that's a, a significant thing that is so messy, so dirty, so sin laden. Um, there's a lot of questions, a lot of anger. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot to process. Um, maybe another example, if you know the comedian John Christ, who I think like a year or two ago got in trouble similarly for uh, some inappropriate and just blatantly sinful sexual behavior as well. Um, and so he, he, he took like a year off from like a social media presence. Apparently he went to some sort of rehabilitation and then he basically came back with one. He, he didn't even really like confess anything. He more or less just said, um, you know, sorry. And then was suddenly just back to his old social media presence. Um, so like, these are just like two examples of people who have sinned, who have fallen, um, short of a certain, st- short of a certain standard, um, and like what we do with that, um, because it, on the one hand, like confessing sins to God, as as First John says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like this is a promise that we have uh, to be cleansed of our sin and our unrighteousness, right? But on the human side of things, it's a lot messier. It's a lot more complicated at times uh, to admit our sin, to confess our sin, and then how we then move forward. So if we, even if we want to take David, for example, uh, the, the sin that David committed against Bathsheba and her husband Uriah, it's an unspeakable thing. Commits adultery and then has the husband killed in battle to like cover his tail, basically. Um, you know, it's even, even, even if we didn't have 
Psalm 51. I think that there's still enough evidence to show that like genuine heart change, genuine repentance has taken place. Um, Psalm 51 does show us that I think that that has happened. Uh, certainly, uh, I mean, you know, God created me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me, uh, completely wash away my guilt. I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Uh, so on and so forth. Like this, this, read Psalm 51 and get an idea of what true and genuine contrition looks like. However, so, and also just to kind of emphasize and keep in mind, read Psalm 51 and remember that there was a specific actual sin that he's writing about. Right. He's not just sort of putting this generality, generic, yeah, we're all sinners. You know, I, I've done wrong things. I'm not perfect. And which, you know, I say that very sarcastically, like, obviously that is true <laughs> in a general, vague, non-specific sense. You can reflect on that and should reflect on that. And there is much to, to I think, gain from just keeping in mind the fact that we live in a state of sin. We are, we are subject to sin and death. And what does that mean for all aspects of our life, both as individuals and in community and before God? But when we're reading psalm 51 this is an actual response to an actual series of, of sinful choices and actions that david took against other people and i think that that kind of sharpens it quite it a bit it, it makes it real because it's it's you know by the grace of god and and the power of the spirit it, it is this transcendent uh song of of, of sorrow and contrition that is applicable in a general sense to everybody, regardless of whatever they're dealing with, whether they have sinned against others or are, uh, you know, just sort of sinning privately against God or whatever. Um, and that's, that's not to take away, you, you know, it's not one or the other. Mm. I'm not, I'm not saying forget the general, you know, forget the universal aspect of Psalm 51 and just focus on the particular of how it, what it means for David. But looking at the fact that this was written by a specific person at a specific time, it was in response to a specific sin or sins, I guess. Um, and I, I just think that that is, you, you know, like, like read Psalm 51 and think about the last sin you can remember doing. And I just feel like that that's such a different experience than hmm. simply reading it and being like, yes, we, you know, I'm, I, we are sinners, you know, right. like, I mean, Romans very good, three. very true, must reflect on that. That is so important to always keep before us, but it's also important to be specific. Right. I agree. And, and I mean, we have Romans three, all have sinned, fallen short of God's glory. Like that's an obvious thing at this point. Like we, you, all one has to do is look out into the world and see that all are sinners, all are falling short of God's glory. Um, but to be specific, like you're saying, to be able to name the sin that we have committed to, especially against others, but ag against God as well. Um, I, I'm always kind of curious and perplexed, even in David's confession, where he says, against you, you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Right. Because yeah. obviously he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against um, Uriah. In a yeah. sense, he sinned against Israel. Uh, as a whole, being their king, being their leader, to 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 fall to such a uh, moral low, and I, I don't know something that like I wanted to highlight in this episode, and I don't know when is the appropriate time, so maybe I'll just highlight it. But I, I was already starting to kind of get to the point that there's like a tension that I have with confession. 
um, specifically as it relates to our confession of sin against other people. Um, because they're, I, I, don't, I don't know how to name it. I don't know exactly what labels to put on it. But there really does seem to be this, I don't know if it's insincere or if we just, because like you're saying, if it, because this isn't talked about enough, if we just don't know how to do it well. But I just have a problem when someone, especially a big public figure, has this big sin. They say, I'm sorry. And then just almost sort of like continue acting like nothing happened. Um, like I'm thinking of like Mark Driscoll or James McDonald or um, like just similar people who have had these like giant things happen very publicly. There was maybe a season of saying, hey, I'm sorry that these things happened. I, I, on the one hand, I sometimes wonder if they're just sorry that they got caught more than they're sorry that they're sinning. Uh, but like I just have this problem with an immediate restoration or an immediate like, okay, now they're in ministry again. And that's th this, this conversation is way more complex. And th this is, we could go down so many different rabbit trails here. Um, but I think it's helpful just to, to at least recognize that there is that tension, um, that an admittal of wrong, uh, confessing sin does not then immediately mean a perfect restoration, you know, to your position at a job or to your role as a pastor. Um, I think that there are times where that can happen depending on the severity of your sin. Uh, but there is a real aspect in which, um, by the way, I hear your fire cracking. It sounds dope. Um, but there is that reality that like the sinner and the one sinned against do have a difficult road forward and it isn't always clear and easy. And I think a recognition of that is healthy. Um, because it would be unhealthy to think that just by saying, oh, I'm sorry, or even having like a genuine contrition, like, to, I don't want to get like too deep or anything, but, it, you know, let's say somebody sins like in this same way that what, well, let's just say someone did what, what David did to Bathsheba in modern 21st century. Um, even a genuine heartfelt contrition, an apology, a confession of sin does not mean that those people are going to be like best friends it doesn't mean that they're going to go forward like with a happy relationship. Like sin in this world has catastrophic effects that even with confession, it doesn't mend all the wounds instantly. Maybe it does over time, but I'm thinking of people who are, you know, survivors of sexual exploitation or survivors of, of rape and abuse and like these really awful, wicked things that are often, you know, against women and children. Um, so I don't, I don't want someone to hear this. And think that like we're saying, yeah, if you just confess your sin, if you're like an abusive husband and you just say, I'm sorry, that suddenly your wife has to forgive you and she's going to be super loving and super there all the time. Um, sometimes like even I think it's healthy for women and children to leave. And I think that most of the time they probably should. Um, and again, I'm just sort of like <laughs> speaking off the top of my head at this point, I've sort of gone off my my outline here. But um, what I'm what I'm trying to say is this is a messy subject that has pretty big implications for real real world application and how it's worked out if that all makes sense and i don't know like definitely yeah and, and i think that like what you're bringing up is a couple of different things that i kind of want to comment on as well like when we when we hear things i know obviously ravi zacharias has passed but like when we hear things like that you know first of all we're talking about a certain scale of actual wrongdoing and sin and injury and harm that's caused but also celebrity fame being a public figure 
you know, is something that A, didn't really exist in previous times of history because it just couldn't just in terms of technology and that kind of stuff. But also it is not something that I think is healthy. And, you know, we've talked about this before. I'm not going to get into it here, but just the, there is that like, we're, when, ugh. when we're talking about being a celebrity of some sort or being some kind of prominent, famous person, there are th- things that, that happen in that scenario that are different than just a normal interpersonal relationship. And, and that's true in every sense, you know, in terms of confessing, in terms of sinning, in terms of good things, bad things, like it, it, it's totally different, you know? And so that's, you know, a, a famous person does something heinous, gets caught, you know, has to deal with it. That's, it's different than a non-famous person does something heinous to their family and gets caught by their, you, you know, there are, there, it's not, it's not better or worse it's there are other dynamics than just the sin itself Mm. you know if that makes sense the other thing is that confession and reconciliation are not actually the same thing right which is what you're was what you're talking about where we're can they're both important things they're both part of the same process they're both connected they're not the same um and that's true for you know big scale small scale sins alike it it's obviously easier to reconcile if you know i call you a nerd and your feelings are hurt it's going to be a much easier road to recovery than if i murder you you know <laughs> well, i don't know <laughs> that escalated quickly um, but <laughs> um but but that is it is important well, because I think sometimes keep, people keep conflate them. Dynamics. They, they yeah. do and, think and that, like, it's, if it's you not sin, helpful, right? Because 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 it's just not it's just not accurate. It's just right. not correct. But then it also potentially leads to further harm, where you know they're like the examples you give, like particularly like people who are abused by their family members, like oh, you know, you need to just you know forgive. You know, they said they were sorry. They meant it, and maybe they did mean it. But that doesn't mean you ignore the fact that. There's a, there's a real danger of harm, you know, to another person that is that is present. So that that is super important, and I think that might be a good transition point to mm. sort of looking at like, obviously, you know, confession exists in scripture. Right? Okay, we we've covered that, but like the the reason we might want to be getting like getting a little more specific at why we might want to think more deeply about confession and maybe make an effort to increase its presence in our own practice, in our own teaching, and in our own, you know, church lives. Um, one of the things I want to say is that confession of sin is very, very closely tied to our spiritual health and worship of God. We've already mentioned in 1 John 1, 9, our forgiveness is conditional on being on being. Uh, able and willing to confess our sins. And I think that's true in a general sense. You know, I believe I'm a sinner and that Jesus is my savior, but also a specific sense, you know, um, I have to repent of my actual sins, not just my sinfulness. You know, I have to do both to to be repentant. You know, I, I can't say, yeah, I'm a sinner and I, I repent from that, but then do a, do something bad and then just say, 
I'm going to ignore that kind of thing. Um, but also, if we look at Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. You, so Jesus is literally saying, you can't worship God if you have some kind of unresolved, unreconciled uh, conflict with with somebody. Um so b- reading between the lines here, go confess your sins to your brother and be reconciled or else your offering to God won't be accepted. And notice the brother has something against you. So we're not talking about <laughs> someone has done something wrong to you. Go talk to them and be reconciled before you can offer your sacrifice at the altar. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if your brother has something against you, which to me implies you have sinned against your brother, go be reconciled, which includes confession if you're the one who is responsible for the wrongdoing, um, and then you can come make your offering. So there is a there is a very serious and significant and tangible spiritual need for confession because we're talking about i mean it's pretty radical i think like imagine if you said to if somebody said to you you know you did this to so and so you told me about it you can't come to church until you fix this that's kind of what he's saying here and like I, i i don't know what i would think if i heard somebody say that to to me or to somebody else but like that's how serious it is, you know? And then if we go back to James 5, which is sort of, I think, one of the best verses of just, like, we need to be confessing sins because he's just, like, confessed to each other. <laughs> like, just says it. Um, but the context is really interesting. He says, is so starting in verse 13, which is, in, in at least in my Bible, a new paragraph, is anyone among you suffering then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church to uh, call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So confession is even tied to physical healing, not just spiritual healing. It's not less than spiritual healing, but it's certainly more than spiritual healing, which is pretty remarkable. And there's a lot there that I can't say I've worked out in my own spirituality and faith and practice in terms of what that means. But my point being here is we need to really, I think, reevaluate the place that we, the emphasis that we place on confession um it's not checking a box because i hurt someone's feelings but when i hurt someone's feelings and i'm using that as a very loose <laughs> euphemism for when i've sinned against someone i've i've put a rift in not just the relationship between me and that person but between me and god i i've put an obstacle to being able to worship god 
You, you, you know, like I, I've put, I've damaged my soul. Like my soul is in danger, not just uh, my my relationship with the other person. And this comes back, I think, to just a recognition of the gravity of sin itself, which is, I think, easy to overlook because, because sin is so grave, it permeates all of life. It's all around us. We sin against others. They sin against us. We hear about sin all the time because it's so constant. Like, it's so constant because it's so serious, but that seriousness makes us kind of almost become numb to it. So we maybe are more prone to overlook how serious it is. And obviously some sins are more serious than others. Like I said, insulting someone is different than stabbing them. But like there's still just this fact of like if we really cared and thought about how serious our sin was, we might be more prone to Psalm 51 type thoughts about our sins. You know, we might be more prone to be like, I need to go confess to to this person. I need to fix this. I need to work towards reconciliation by confessing my sin. Um, and I think that's a big, that, that was a big like light bulb moment for me a few months ago when I kind of was first thinking about this. So I, I, I had a, an assignment in a spiritual formation class and, and it was on confession. So I, this is kind of where my my thinking came from on all this. And it was really like a light bulb moment, I think, to just look at the not not just how much confession is talked about, but the contexts that they're talked about, particularly this Matthew 5 passage and this James 5 passage, the context that this confession of sin and reconciliation is being placed in in reference to spiritual health and eligibility for worship, physical, like it's it's different than I'm used to. And that really, I think, helps to reframe the the topic in a way that I think opens the door to maybe being a little more biblical and a little more serious about confession of sins um, and something that has been really, really fruitful in my own life in the last few months for reasons that I do want to talk about, but they're kind of a a bit of a, of a different direction. So I want to make sure we wrap this section up before we move on. Um, so I don't know if there's anything that... that any verses I missed that, that you've thought of or just anything that comes to mind in terms of sort of looking at what confession looks like? Not, it doesn't necessarily have to be Bible verses, but just anything along those lines that, I, that, that you want to kind of add to that? Yeah, and I don't, I don't necessarily know how this directly pertains to confession, um, but it's just something that I've been thinking about in the realm of confession at the very least. And especially in light of Ravi Zacharias and in light of any time that we do see these major celebrity sins or, you know, these people that are famous when we see their transgressions um, there. So there are like two extremes that I think we need to avoid. And this is this comes from Twitter. A guy named Samuel James, who I follow, um, kind of pointed this out, but it was really poignant. And I thought it was really um, I don't know, worth highlighting. But he says that two extremes to avoid when a public Christian figure is exposed for serious sin. Um, number one is, so this is extreme number one, that could never be me. And number two, the extreme to avoid is we're all one step away from being him. And these are like two 
two things that I do see when this happens. So there are some people who are like, wow, that is just like so grievous that like I could never do that. There's no way I'd ever, I, it just wouldn't be me. And then the other is like, in, and I get this inclination to want to say like, I'm one, I'm one step away from being like Ravi Zacharias. Um, and his, he basically says that statement one, so to say that that, that, that could never be me, that minimizes the heinousness of your sin. It, it, minimize, it minimizes how sinful you are and how sinful you can be. Whereas statement two, we're all one step away from being him, minimizes the heinousness of his specific sin. So in recognizing, on the one hand, public Christian sin that we see from big figures, like these are two things that I think we need to avoid. And then to translate that into our own lives, like just in general, we need to avoid those two extremes. Minimizing our sin and on the other side of the spectrum, thinking that we're just one step away from those heinous sins at the same time. Because like he says, we, we don't want to minimize just how wicked our hearts can be, how deceitful, how malicious. And again, at the same time, we, we would never want to minimize the sins of somebody especially like Ravi Zacharias. And I, I don't know him. I've never known him, never met him. I know who he is. I've seen stuff in his ministry. And I I personally believe that the people who are telling stories about what he's done. And so like, it, because I think that those things are true, like there's no way that I would ever minimize what Ravi has done. No matter how big he is, uh, no matter how many good things that he's done for the Christian world and for apologetics, uh, the reality stands that he did some really wicked and cruel things that um, cause a lot of harm. And so it, it, when we translate that to our own personal lives, we do need the recognition that our confession of sin, on the one hand, is a recognition of our heinousness, but also a recognition that like others contain that as well, and we ought not minimize theirs. So again, I don't know necessarily how that relates directly to what you asked, but I thought that that was maybe like the appropriate time to say that little blurb. Yeah. Um, I think that's really helpful. I don't know how to transition to this last thing I want to talk about smoothly. So just do it. Just here, here right comes in. a rough transition. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at, like I mentioned, I had an assignment last semester to, to, talk about the spiritual discipline of confession. The way I chose to go about doing that was I started meeting with a priest at my church for private confession, you know, auricular confession, uh, as its technical name is called that I learned last year what that meant. Um, so this is sort of like, you know, when you hear the word confession, maybe you think, you know, the sacrament of confession in, in maybe the Roman church or, or Eastern churches. Um, but other, other, you know, Protestant churches, some Protestant churches have retained this practice, including the Anglican Church, which is why my one of my priests was willing to do this. And also, um, I know the Lutherans, I don't know how many practice it, but they do have it. Luther was kind of retained it as a sacrament for a while. But anyway, um, so the in doing this, which I started, you know, for a project, but I also wanted to, like, I, I didn't approach it cynically like this it was a genuine new practice that i was trying to to add to my my spiritual life um it 
it is something I, I before last semester, I, I had never met for, for private confession before, you know, with, with a, with a clergy person. Um, I, I, I don't even really know, you know, obviously if I hurt people, I would confess to them. You know, I've, I've definitely talked about struggles and sins that I have with, you know, peers and brothers in Christ before, but it's not like that. It was even a regular thing. So it was very much sort of a shift in terms of my practice of confession, if we could say that. Um, and I have to say, it it's totally just been such a blessing beyond how I know how to describe in really, a, it, in a short time, I realized that. And there there's so much to say here. Um, I'm not going to give a whole like presentation on the ins and outs of, you know, private confession in the Anglican tradition or whatever, which is the only place I've experienced it. Um, and I've only, you know, one particular parish with one particular priest or whatever. But the point is like to take well, everything we've been talking about seriously into our own lives to, to set up that accountability of confessing under the authority of the church, which comes from Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew 16, John 20, uh, 20, um, and to, to seriously confess, you know, to, to those who are called to shepherd and to guide and to minister to our souls, uh, is something that I can't really recommend highly enough. And one of the things that I've, I've been thinking and, and have said to a few people, like, regardless of your background denominationally, the church you go to, I mean, I know with COVID, this might be a little different or whatever, but like, regardless if your church or your tradition, you know, has the practice generally of private confession to a clergy member, like, I would, I would say, just like, text your pastor and ask if he'll sit down with you and listen, you know? Um, it's such an unbelievably encouraging experience to, to, to bring your sins before God in, in his church and to be pronounced forgiven by a shepherd who is, who is speaking the gospel into your heart that you are forgiven, you know, to, to, to have that. I, I, the first time that I did it, I was had, had no idea what to expect. I was nervous. It's new. It's weird. You know, it's all those things. And when when, I, when it was over, like, I remember thinking that I had never felt, like, viscerally, emotionally more forgiven. I don't believe that I was more forgiven in that moment than I was previous at previous times in my life. Like, Jesus has forgiven me the same, regardless of whether or not I confess my sin directly to him or in the presence of a priest. But to have, and everybody's different. Everybody's consciences are different. Everybody has different sensitivities that the Lord has given them. So so that's, you know, I'm just sort of sharing my excitement that comes from my own personal experience. But I have to say, um, I, I did not, I have not felt more forgiven, felt more forgiven than hearing 
you know, forgiveness pronounced by a minister of the gospel to me, which is where I think the strength of things like confess, like a corporate confession during worship services um, and private confession. I think that's that's why those things are so valuable and helpful for the, the for our spiritual lives as as Christians as we as we worship and and seek to you know live live it out and and all that um and i just think that when we look at things like james 5 and and john first john 1 9 uh david and nathan you know nathan is is for you know i don't want to be too you know what like he's he's a clergy person you know he he is an ordained minister of the of of god in 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 his, you know his own time in his own you know way um and James talks, you know, call the elders to pray over you to be healed and confess to each other, you know, like in, in that context, it seems to me that he's talking about confessing with the elders, you know, not, not just each other. I'm not saying don't confess to each other as brothers and sisters in, in Christ to encourage and exhort each other. I'm just saying, um, I don't think that's the only context that the church comes into play when we're talking about confession. So anyway, before I start rambling, I, I think I'll cut myself off there. But um, I just thought, like it, it, like I said, I'm. It's something that I've become really excited and, and passionate about through my own experience of being blessed by it in my own life, uh, by God through His church. And I just think it's it's uh, it's it's one of the reasons I see confession as so significant when I read these verses now, compared to when I, you know, how I might have felt in the past. Uh, when I wasn't in the practice of routinely confessing in this manner, um, so I would encourage I would encourage you to consider that. Like I said, regardless of your denominational background or what you're used to doing, just kind of seek that out. You know, with 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 whatever resources the Lord has given you, and um, that would be like kind of my encouragement to anybody listening. More than anything else, from that I've said today, but. But anyway, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll cut it off there. <laughs> cool. Well, there's not a whole lot else that I think I have to say. I, I just, by way of humor, I guess, well, since this was maybe a little bit heavier at sometimes, we'll, we'll kind of descend. Uh, I, I'm reminded of, of Martin Luther, who, you know, during his days prior to the Reformation even starting, when he was just like a monk, um, I'm pretty sure there was like a story about him confessing and he was so guilt-ridden. He had so much... He felt so broken over his sin. So much remorse. So much contrition. Which is a good thing. But he was finding no peace. He was like going to the priest to confess day after day after day. Like every single tiny little sin. And I'm pretty sure it even got to the point where the priest was like, Martin... You haven't done anything awful. You haven't killed anybody. You haven't committed adultery. Like the things that you're confessing about are so petty, um, which I don't know. Maybe that isn't funny. Maybe that is still something to take seriously. But I just, I find a little bit of humor in, you know, I, I don't know. I sh maybe I shouldn't because it sounds like I'm finding humor in his agony. But um, it's just an interesting story at the very least. Maybe humor isn't the right word. But but anyway, why don't you close this out uh, more appropriately? <laughs> Um, I would love to. So we're going to pray uh, a prayer from the Valley of Vision called Confession and Petition. 
Let's pray. Holy Lord, I have sinned times without number and been guilty of pride and unbelief, of failure to find thy mind in thy word, of neglect to seek thee in my daily life. My transgressions and shortcomings present me with a list of accusations, but I bless thee that they will not stand against me, for all have been laid on Christ. Go on to subdue my corruptions and grant me grace to live above them. Let not the passions of the flesh nor lustings of the mind bring my spirit into subjection, but do thou rule over me in liberty and power. I thank thee that many of my prayers have been refused. I have asked amiss and do not have. I have prayed from lusts and been rejected. I have longed for Egypt and been given a wilderness. Hmm. Go on with thy patient work, answering no to my wrongful prayers and fitting me to accept it. Purge me from every false desire, every base aspiration, everything contrary to thy rule. I thank thee for thy wisdom and thy love, for all the acts of discipline to which I am subject, for sometimes putting me into the furnace to refine my gold and remove my dross. No trial is so hard to bear as a sense of sin. If thou shouldst give me choice to live in pleasure and keep my sins, or to have them burnt away with trial, give me sanctified affliction. Deliver me from every evil habit, every accretion of former sins, everything that dims the brightness of thy grace in me, everything that prevents me taking delight in thee. Then I shall bless thee, God of Jeshurun, for helping me to be upright. Amen. Amen. Dude, the Valley of Vision is so good. Like, yeah, that is that, that one is that is quite a prayer. <laughs> well, <laughs> big <thank> fan. You, <laughs> right? <laughs> thank you for, for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to any episode that you ever listened to. We've had a pretty good last couple of weeks here, especially the last like four or five days. So we, we just want to say thank you. Uh, if you want to connect with us, and we really encourage you to, because if you want to learn about giveaways and Instagram lives, you're going to want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. Also, you're going to want to email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We want your feedback, any questions you might have, episode ideas, whatever you want to give us. Uh, if you want to confess, uh, whatever you want to do. So sign up for our newsletter as well uh, to stay up to date. We would love to hear from you. Later. Later.